Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Grow With Soul. Today I'm catching up with Jane Lindsay of Snapdragon Life, who we first met back in episode 19 of this podcast. At that time, Jane was at the very beginning of scaling back her six-figure product business and now three years later she no longer has a team and she is focused on her lifestyle membership. In this conversation, we dig into so much juicy stuff. So we talk about money, setting up your business for creative freedom, truly aligning with your values, the challenge of descaling, and the mindset shift it takes to get away from this belief that we have to perpetually scale up. This was such a freeing and affirming conversation for me, and I really hope that you enjoy it too. Hi Jane. Hi Kate. So nice to see you. Yes, I know, and we're actually seeing each other because I, I can see your face on my screen, which is a, a very novel thing. <laughs> so for anybody who missed your last episode, given that it was all the way back in November 2018, yeah, can you give us a little bit of background on, well, maybe what you were doing at the time? <laughs> Okay, and, well, and how that came about and then we'll get into what's changed. My name is Jane Lindsay and I run a business called Snapdragon Life, which is a monthly membership site. And I am a textile designer. I'm particularly interested in sort of plant dyes and local things. I am a gardener. I'm a writer. I used to grow cut flowers commercially I no longer do that. And I used to sell a lot of gift products and I no longer do that. So in 2018, when I sort of last talked to Kate, I was kind of moving my business away from being primarily product-based to service-based. And I was about six months into the membership site. But now I'm wholly membership site. At that point, I had four members of staff, and now it's just me. And I used to work very, very hard, and now I work much less. And I used to somehow get through all the money in the business, and now I actually have an okay, stable income. So lots of things have changed (laughs) in three years. (laughs) Yes, because I think, were you still on Not On The High Street the last time we spoke? I was, and mm. I, I had scaled back, and I personally, within the business, had moved away from doing things for Not On The High Street. But as a business, we were still really involved with Not On The High Street, and that was most of the work that was coming in. And that's why I still had a team of four to make things and pack them and dispatch them and that kind of thing. And then I realized, really 2019, that that whole side of the business I simply had to give work to staff members I didn't enjoy it I didn't approve of it I didn't like it Um, it bored me but I was solely keeping it on so that there was work for people to do which turned out to be a completely ridiculous way of running a business Mm -hmm. particularly because I was then working long hours sort of in the background to keep that going and really didn't like it so I, I'm certainly quite hesitant here because it was a really, really difficult decision to make mm. because you work for people and you decide that you are going to close down the bit of the business which they were working in. And that is just an appalling thing to do to teammates and friends. And that has been really probably the background of 2019. My team went down to just me in January 2020, just before the world collapsed. And it, it was just horrible. Mm. Um, there's no, there's no, there's, there's no <laughs> way of, of getting over that. It was really horrible. But now I'm really, really happy in my work. 
It's just that to get to that point, I had to make that horrible decision. Yeah. And how did you sort of navigate that in yourself, I guess, rather than getting into the ins and outs of like the horribleness, but how did you manage to kind Um, of keep keep clear to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I left it to the point that there was no way that I could keep the business going as it was because what had happened was because that was not my main focus, even though I was kind of like still designing it, it wasn't my passion. So we began to get fewer orders, but my costs were still really high because of having lots of staff. And I began to lose money. You know, I mean, Mm. that's what happened. So I had made the decision in the October, which was a really low point financially for the business, um, that I would have to do something. I decided to run it till Christmas. I knew that we would have money coming in at Christmas and I could just use that for redundancy payments. And that made that feel better for me, that I could be generous Mm -hmm. to people who had worked brilliantly and none of this was their fault. And that gave me a deadline that I knew that I would have to do it in the January before all the money started to disappear again. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very frank and honest. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So it's it was sort of taken out of your hands a little bit in that way, yeah. and just that it was less a decision that oh, I actually I want my life to be like this, and that doesn't include you guys. And it was more okay, like this, like this isn't actually paying anymore. And I guess that makes it a little bit easier in some ways. I think it makes it easier, but it gives you less uh, room for manoeuvre, really. Nobody wanted to do things that were to do with the new side of the business. Mm. You know, people actually loved making products and packing them and dispatching them, and that was what they wanted to do. They didn't want to learn how to take photographs or write or do tutorials. It was a completely different kind of work. Mm-hmm. So... After that, I, I yeah, I, I had no no choice because nobody wanted to kind of like move roles into the way mm-hmm. the business was going, and the old business because I had was beginning to neglect it was kind of tailing off. So I I mean I I could have stepped back and I could have started doing much more commercially profitable things, and you know I could have stepped back onto that treadmill, but I had decided. You know, for for reasons that we went over, you know, like in 2018, you know, it was big um, reasons I no longer wanted to be part of that whole consumerist culture. So it wasn't really an option. But but you know, mm. here we are. You know, yeah. I, I <laughs> a bit down the line, and everybody has new jobs, and they're all very happy. And yeah. And things, but at the time it was horrible. Exactly, really. it's 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 one of those. Yeah, you can. It's nice to look back now and think, okay, I, I didn't ruin people's lives, but um, yeah, at the time it really that responsibility must feel quite crushing. Yes, but of course, I mean the thing is that when you employ people, you and particularly if it's your own business, my business is my business. You know, it is a baby it is Mm. everything but other people they might like their jobs but it's not an all-consuming part of their lives and I think that what I had worried about was you know that it would be like me losing my business whereas people I'm I'm sure that losing your job is, is very difficult and traumatic and you're losing a lot but it I, I think I had overestimated how important you know, yeah. jobs were to people just because my job is so important to me. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> projecting onto them. So let's talk a little bit about the membership then because as you said, at the time we last spoke, it was very, very early on in its first sort of iteration. So how has that developed alongside all the kind of turmoil of 2019 and and? How what has that sort of grown into? Well, 2019, I basically worked back at my kitchen table because I have a, a, a wonderful studio, but that was still being used for not on the high street things. Mm-hmm. Or it wasn't only not on the high street, but for gift yeah. production of gifts. So I worked back at the kitchen table, which was as though I was back in 2003. And I was just, you know, writing and gardening and creating e-courses and all of this kind of thing and then when we got to January 2020 I cleared 
all of the warehousing out of the studio workshop and I moved back here into my studio. And that completely changed the feel of it mm. because I was back to being an artist. So, I mean, I, I am a textile artist and it was always my designs that were put onto giftware, but suddenly I had this space and a proper artist studio and I'm surrounded by sort of meadows here and, and trees and it it switched the quality of my creative work because I wasn't camped at the kitchen table and I wasn't working in between other kind of like more commercial things. Mm. Um, and then obviously COVID happened and we went into lockdown and I decided to close the membership to new members so that I could kind of hunker down with people. Mm-hmm. And that was a really, it was, it was absolutely the correct decision, but it was a decision that everybody suggested I shouldn't make because commercially people were looking for things like craft memberships. You know, you could yeah, yeah. really scale at that time. And I just knew within me that that wasn't the kind of membership that I run. It's a very kind of, I mean, you know, there's, there's a few hundred people in it, but it's quite connected and small. And I tend to know people. And I felt that if I just opened it up, I would be doing exactly the same as I had done with the gifts. That I would just be expanding for the sake of expanding. Mm. That that would, just because that's the proper thing to do in business is to scale. So right through 2020, the membership was shut or it was open for very short periods of time on a very limited kind of three-day cap numbers kind of thing. But now that we're kind of opening back up again, I am thinking, you know, I should just really be opening it all back up again and and, uh, not not to scale it, but because there isn't that kind of pressure Mm. to do it, if that makes sense. That's interesting. That's interesting that it's a like a rebellious decision more than anything else. <laughs> I think that it's it's kind of that I know the mistakes that I have made in the past. And my mistakes are always to do with scaling up. There is obviously something deep in my psyche that feels that to be a proper business person, you should be scaling up. Even though that has, you know, scaling up has very little to do with the income that you end up with Mm. and it certainly isn't to do with the quality of the work or the impact that you have it's just something like a kind of apprentice kind of thing you know that there is this feeling that bigger is better which is not true but every time I find myself bubbling away at oh I should really scale but I know that I shouldn't Mm. yeah that's so interesting and it and so when you're you're back in sort of March 2020 and everybody's saying, oh, this is, this is the time for your memberships, was there a part of you that ever thought, oh, yeah, I need to scale, and then it was a conscious decision to bring it back? Or was it already kind of embedded in you of, no, that's, that's not the right thing to do? It was a conscious decision to just shut the doors because I could feel the beginning of that kind of the bubbling pressure of doing things. And also the kind of membership that I have, which is a lot of it is to do with, you know, connecting into nature and to your creativity. But also it's the feeling of the whole thing. There is proper community there and people certainly have a relationship with me. Mm. Um, And I was getting maybe eight, ten times as many emails and messages and things from people um, just wanting to touch base. Mm-hmm. And particularly there was lots of people who live in cities and I share a lot of what's happening here. And to start with, I had thought all these pictures of the countryside, they're going to be quite distressing to people and things, yeah. but actually we're living vicariously through it. So they were getting in touch and they were asking to see different things. And, you know, and I was able to do that but I wouldn't have been if I had started to increase numbers mm-hmm. and increase numbers because, you know, the, you, you stop knowing who people are. Yeah, yeah. And so that's because I guess what I was kind of getting at there is 
how do you remember to learn the lesson that you know it's the lesson you've had year after year after year about scaling and it's how how do you break that pattern because it's easy to look back and be like oh I shouldn't have scaled there but it's harder to do when you're at the beginning of it I think it's to do with how it feels in your body yeah you just generally begin to recognize that your body feels a particular way when things are going wrong or that you're doing things that are not going to work out Mm. and I think that's just experience and being Mm -hmm. open to the fact that your body will tell you when things are not the ideal way to do things. Well, and I guess as well, also reading what what that message actually says, because I think that we can, we have an expectation of stress and an expectation of sort of misery in some ways of just like, oh, well, it's work and it's it's supposed to be hard and it's going to, and I'm going to feel stressed. Whereas actually it's going, okay, well, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. Maybe what that's, maybe that isn't normal in inverted commas. Maybe that's actually a sign telling me this is wrong rather than it being something I should just accept as part of this thing of being in business. Yes, no, I think that that's right. Um, I also had the thing in early lockdown, I was in a shielding category and my husband is a GP. So he was seeing people daily at assessment mm. centre. So we split the house and I was in the spare room. Oh, gosh. And, you know, we're incredibly lucky that we could do that. You know, we've got two bathrooms and things. But that just felt really wrong to me. So I think that I was also, I was looking after my members, but I was also looking after me mm-hmm. and, and feeling that, you know, I don't need any extra stress because, I'm, I was, you know, obviously you're trying to be supportive, but you're not even in the same room as somebody yeah. Yeah. having to deal with all of this stuff so I was really really nice to myself in early <laughs> lockdown and then you know end of May I, I decided I'd had enough and I couldn't go <laughs> not, not being near anybody um so we we gave up all that and you know that was much nicer but I was very aware that you know kind of mental health wise because I work on my own and the house was split and it just felt horrible that if I was going to get through it I I needed to be really kind of nice to myself. Yeah. You know, it takes 52 years to mm. work these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm allowed to just make this easy on myself and not yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah. Not, have to be responsible to other people, really, in terms mm. of you know, growing a business or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the membership, then, because obviously, it's not a case of it it growing and growing and scaling and scaling. And so what has, and, and yet I'm assuming that you, your churn is quite low. Sounds like it, if you didn't have to keep reopening that there was a very low churn. So yeah, yeah how has it been building that and a real kind of community there? Because I think it's easy to always go into, well, how did you grow something? But how did you consolidate something? I think is perhaps more interesting question particularly in things like memberships where churn can be such a a difficult thing to deal with yes I think that with membership a lot of it is consistency a lot of my members have been my customers for a long long time so when I initially opened up the membership which was what 2017 of the first hundred people who joined up I knew over half of them as customers and they had been following me since 2004 2005 so they were already they knew me and they were kind of committed to me as a a person to follow so I think that has really helped with the idea of community because people it's not that everybody's new Mm -hmm. you know and that they're just going to come and then go away again right at the beginning when I opened up the membership I had a thing where you could join and I would send you a physical thing um, and I gave also a discount code so people got their first month free. Somebody put all of these together and put it on Mumsnet as a here's a great wheeze. Right. Join with the discount code. They'll send you something, cancel before your payment would be due. 
And I got lots of people join from that and I got lots of people cancel. <laughs> and I nearly gave up completely. But really? apart from the mum's net people, which was, you know, about 35 people, everybody else was already somebody who knew me, you know, virtually, you know, they, mm-hmm, they'd follow mm-hmm. my blog or whatever. So it has allowed me to see both sides, that if you start a membership and people are just joining because of something that they feel that they're going to get in return for their money that is in their head, but they don't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, then they have no loyalty. Mm-hmm. And lots of people just like to change memberships every three months. But if you have people who know you and have been following you and kind of feel part of it to start with, they're in a very different category. And I have been very fortunate, apart from the mum's net fiasco, to have really committed people mm-hmm. who are lovely. And I think that's why I don't get much of a churn. Yeah, that, and I think that's I, I'm in, I'm interested to come back to the mum's net thing, but I do think that and, and something that I've been thinking about a lot as somebody who provides stuff, but also as a consumer, as a customer, what I actually want is the experience of something, even if it is virtual. It's how it's my life is going to be being in that membership rather than here's a great long list of stuff I'm going to get. I almost don't care about the what I'm going to get more than, yeah, but what's my experience going to be like? And I think that that's the sort of, when you you do have things like a membership or something that doesn't have a capital R result for people, that that experience I think is more important than perhaps as creators we give credit for. No, I think, think that's very true because my membership is not like, uh, you know, a business membership maybe where you would learn things or there would yeah. be lots of lives <laughs> or whatever. In that I do have, you know, e-courses and so on, but they're all evergreen and they dip in and out and there's no pressure and certainly you don't need to do anything at all. So I think it is, it's more of a lifestyle kind of membership. And, you know, it's access behind the scenes and that's what a lot of people like is to know the mess that doesn't get onto the Instagram grid or whatever it is, you know, um, and to feel part of it. So with the mum's net thing, when you said that it made you want to give it all up, was it like, was it that bad that it, and what, what sort of, what made it think like, oh, not this is people on mum's net being annoying. What made it so bad that you're like, I'm just not doing the whole thing. (laughs) I, I really value my personal relationship with people. And I appreciate that that is not the way to run a business, but my relationship with my customers has always been really close, really personal. I have always, if, if somebody has ordered from our website, even when we were really busy, it would be me that wrote, you know, the postcard and all of that kind of thing that went in. I might not be packing it because I was not the best packer, but um, in terms of the connection, that really mattered to me. I grew up, my mum had an antique shop when I grew up and I used to serve in that. And then when I first started a business here, it was a garden gate kind of flower business. And you get used to seeing people face to face. So for me, having a business has always been about trying to incorporate as much of that into an online business. So the idea that there would be people coming and trying to steal things like shoplift Mm. from your market stall that's how it felt to me that there was just all of this kind of conning had gotten and I appreciate that that is very um not the way to run a business and it's um probably much better to go oh, well that's just people on mum's net being annoying um onto a good deal but that I felt that that's not it's not the kind of customers that mm-hmm. I like dealing with mm. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it is like kind of having your skin ripped off in some ways that, um, that yeah, you've got you've got your, your people and you're chugging along doing your own thing and then people are coming in and taking advantage. And that's, uh, especially when it's not, you've not put yourself out there. Like you're mm-hmm. not, you're not doing huge marketing campaigns where you know that there's going to be a, a percentage of people who aren't right. It's kind of landed on your doorstep and... I guess that's a difficult, you can't prepare for that. You could only be reactive, which d- is more difficult. 
Yes. I also felt that I had been really stupid, you know, right. opening myself up to that. I, I always like to think of myself as a very generous person. Mm. And I did feel that possibly my generosity had slid over the, the uh, stupidity mark <laughs> <laughs> with that particular thing. But then, you know, generosity works really, really well. And it's very rare that you get something that happens like that. And Mumsnet took down the post. Oh, that, um, was, that was nice. You know, so it wasn't hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was something I was going to ask you because I know it's something that we've talked about in the past where that that generosity has kind of turned into a, an over-delivering and mm. a, a in a way that can be overwhelming for your customers and also for you. So I wonder where, whether A, that mum's net scenario kind of change some of that or whether just in general that has is something that you've been thinking about at all yeah I re-listened to our thing and I was it was quite interesting because one of the main things that I did in 2020 was to get my website coded so that I could have a proper pay what you want membership mm-hmm. I had run it that anybody could actually become a membership for whatever they wanted, but they had to get in touch with me and I would give them the code to allow that, which when you think about it is not a pay what you want at all. No, it's, no, a, yeah. you know, it's, it's just rubbish. But I recognized that because I was down to just working for me, so it's not if I crash the business, I'm just crashing my business. I'm not crashing everybody's. Mm-hmm. And I could do what I want. And that allows me to just say, right, okay, I want to have people being able to come and access things. So I can I can code and uh, pay what you want for the membership and that will continue things. And what that did was it switched my mindset so that I didn't have this worry about things being exclusive. I hate the idea of VIPs and exclusiveness and all of that kind of thing because actually – all that means is you're excluding, mm-hmm. you know, when you say, oh, exclusive accent, you're excluding. And I think that it was that that had kind of like set up the treadmill of trying to provide and provide, because the more that I would provide for free, the more I would feel that I had to provide for the people who were paying, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. So I, so I would start off over providing and then overcompensating and and getting ridiculous so yes i think that that has calmed down and changed Mm -hmm. and that that there is also it also allowed me to do other coding on the website which is consolidated where things are which actually makes it much easier to see what is there Mm -hmm. and what is free and what is not because people can actually access that for whatever they want if they're in that situation that they don't have the cash Mm. That, and that's really interesting that 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 did it making it pay what you want and, and as a way that was just to align with your own values and that what that actually triggered was a, a freeing up where I guess it's everybody has more agency where it's not like people have had to join for a certain amount and they're rumming and ahhing about it. They've made a conscious decision about what they are going to pay and they've made a decision to, mm-hmm. to join at a way that's sustainable for well, them. I, and yeah. I, I, I have like the normal membership payment and then I have another one that is pay what you want. Mm. You know, in theory, people could pay more, though nobody's ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a separately coded thing so that you can complete it. And I don't know and nobody mm. else knows. And that was kind of like the important thing for me. But I think it was a great lesson for me in that if you work, do something, no matter how small and no matter how justified that isn't to do with your values in your business, it kind of knocks on to other things. So it was the fact that I didn't feel it was fair that if people didn't have a certain amount of money per month, that they couldn't access something that I personally feel is really important. You know, because it's about creativity and it's about seasons and it's about connecting to where you live that if cash was the reason that they couldn't access that that felt very unfair to me because cash is distributed so unequally and unfairly in our society 
And that's one of my my core beliefs. So to have a business where that belief wasn't playing out had effects on kind of like the way that I was doing the work. In what way? That In what way? That I just, I overcompensated right. the whole yeah. time. Um, and also I, I found it very difficult to talk about the things that are done, you know, in the, in the studio club, because I felt that other people would go, but you know, I can't afford at that, you know, it was, it was 10 pounds a month to do that. And then I would feel, you know, I, I shouldn't really be speaking about things that are behind a closed door because mm-hmm. that's rude mm-hmm. and it makes people feel excluded. And so how do you feel, feel about that now in terms of talking about things? I mean, and not just from uh, the pay what you want point of view, but just in general, like, does it still feel rude? <laughs> no, it doesn't because anybody could join mm-hmm. and they could join at whatever amount they want. You know, I mean, we have people who are studio members who pay a pound a month. We have people who pay fifteen pounds a month, and that's absolutely fine. And I, I feel I can talk about, you know, we're doing an interview with such and such, this new course about this, or I'm doing a tour of the garden, or whatever it is, because anybody could become a member realistically if they wanted to. They might choose not to because they don't have time, or they're not interested, or whatever. But it's no longer cashed. Mm. This is going to sound like a funny question. Do you feel that money is like not one of the top priorities in a funny sort of way for you now? Where does it feel like your business does almost more for you than the money? Does that make sense? I don't think that I regard money as, I don't think I ever have regarded money as something that is a good thing in its own right. What I would say is that I earn more money now than I did two years ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm absolutely not saying that businesses shouldn't make money. I think it's very important that businesses do make money. One thing I did um, at the beginning of 2020 was I decided on an amount that I would not go over in income. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a decent salary, but it's not, I, I found it oppressive to think that the business should scale and scale and scale till I was earning, you know, 200,000 or whatever, because I would rather have the time mm-hmm. or the freedom or to do things. I'm not a high maintenance person. I don't like, you know, fancy cars or yachts or expensive (laughs) handbags or lots of clothes. They're just not interests of mine. Time is more important and and kind of like a freedom from schedule is Mm. very important Mm. to me. But I'm absolutely not saying Yeah. No, yeah. I think what I was trying to trying to get at at that question is that there's a phrase I hate which I've seen bandied around, which is leaving money on the table. And it could probably be argued that what you've done is left money on the table because people can choose to sign up for a pound and you could just make it a minimum of a fiver or whatever it is. And I guess that it's interesting. It sounds like that your business is set up that the main, or not the main, but it's set up to provide time almost more so than it is to set set up to provide exponential income. Yes, I'm not interested in exponential income. I'm not quite sure what I would do with it. It's set up to um, provide me with creative freedom. Mm -hmm. So I am fairly obsessive about dyeing things with local plants. (laughs) It started, I mean, I, I had done it before, but then in lockdown... I decided that this would be something that I could do. Just, you know, I can walk up and down the garden. I can walk along the road. What can I find to die? I think. Now, I was able to just bring that into the business and talk about that and blog about that and do e-courses about that in a way that, that didn't really worry me that people might not share my <laughs> incredible enthusiasm for tansy or sweet sweet uh, sicily or whatever and that is what the business in its present form gives me it mm-hmm. gives me a committed engaged curious membership that allow me to go off on a tangent whereas if i was always had the eye on the money on the table i would be being much more 
conventional, yeah, much less mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And I think you know sometimes the money can follow that when you are sort of prioritizing your creative freedom, your own enthusiasm, like that energy, the money will kind of just follow on from that because yeah. your energy itself is is what's sustaining others and what making other people excited. And that I think if you're trying, just focusing so hard on number after number after number, that can be quite a dead energy sometimes. Yes, I think that to make it work, you have to pull yourself back to maybe hide behind something that is more corporate or um, whereas, yes, what I have is something that grows naturally without a lot of pushing. Mm. Yeah, and that's an interesting word because I think, I can't remember where I've said things. I'm pretty sure actually it was in the episode with Sasha, whichever episode number that was, that will be in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, But that we talked about the the not pushing and that's something that's been in my head for a couple of years actually of just like I don't want to have to push anything I don't want to feel like I'm pushing I don't know whether pull is the opposite of that or be feel pulled or have things kind of pull behind me but yeah that that pushing energy is not something I want to have no I think it's a kind of a striding out energy that we all Mm. want you know that Mm. that there is there is freedom and yeah, energy and, and so on, that it's, yes, it, it has to be not effortless, but not, you don't have to feel, you don't have to be second guessing yourself because it's so bloody hard that it doesn't <laughs> feel right. Yes. So I guess that kind of leads on what into what you would say in the last three years feel like your biggest successes or wins for want of a better word what feel what do you look back on the last three years and that feels like like something you feel really good about I think it's going with my values there's something happens when you turn 50 I think so like 49th year where you know best will in the world there's less active time ahead of you than behind you and what that did for me was it it sort of like flooded me with the feeling of, you know, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And that allowed me to completely reorganize things. So, for example, I used to say an awful lot, oh, society would be so much better if everybody just worked for money for four days. And then on the fifth day, they did something that they were passionate about and didn't get paid for it. And they went into the commons, this kind of thing. And then I'd go, oh, but, you know, society would have to change and this would have to change. And then I thought, actually, I run my own business. I can just easily say, I don't take emails on a Friday and I don't dispatch anything and go and find something to do. So I know I'm helping develop a community food project and a couple of gardens and things. And that's what I do one day a week. And that energizes the rest of my week. So it's been it, that shift. It's not specifically a business shift. Mm-hmm. It's a life shift and just a, a stepping up. I mean, it's all small kind of ways. You know, I'm not going out and saving the world, but I am doing something that I'm passionate about one day a week, which I would never have done. I would have always ended up having to work all the evenings to make up for that eight hours yeah. that I did something. So that has been my success, my taking my values and the things that I have been saying for years and actually going, well, why not just do it? And then doing it. Mm. So. Yeah. That was something I was going to ask you, actually, because as we sort of said at the beginning, that the the whole process of shutting down the gift side and moving into what you're doing now is that it was <laughs> that I remember having the conversation of like, well, I sell things for people to buy, but I don't think people should buy things. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so there has been a very kind of values-led kind of mission over there as you've just been saying about those kind of things and and the the anti-consumerist stuff and all that kind of thing so do you feel that you've still got a way to go to be bringing things the way that you work into even more alignment with your values or do you feel like you're you're pretty where you want to be I think we're getting there. I really do think I'm getting there. Though, you know, I may speak to you at the end of the year and go, oh, no, I changed everything. It's very interesting. I think things bubble 
under. I read a book um, called The Gift by Lewis Hyde about 10 years ago. And I'm pretty sure at the time I would have been reading it to try and manipulate people into buying more gifts, though it's mm-hmm. not that kind of book at all. Um, it's a very dense kind of um, book about relationships and societies, really. But I reread it in lockdown and I realized that I'd obviously been very influenced by it, even though I didn't understand a lot of it. And what he does is he divides kind of people's work into two categories. And one is called work. And that's the kind of business that I used to have. And this is no judgment on businesses, but it's kind of a deliberate business with spreadsheets and profit margins and customer acquisition and all of that kind of thing, quite a grown up capitalist business. And then the other kind of business he calls labor, but other writers have called art. And that is something where you would set up the conditions for your work, but it's n- you, ha- you have no product in mind when you start off. So it can't be quantified. So that would include things like poetry and painting, but it would also include lots of teaching and um, care professions and so on in that and I think that what happened was I just realized that I was in the wrong kind of job that temperamentally I am not suited to that whole widget thing and I'm much better with something that is more free and more creative and more open-ended and I think that obviously what I read in that book had stayed with me so that the framework of changing from one to another I did gradually you know eight years later And it was really interesting rereading it and thinking, aha, that's just been bubbling up. So in answer to your question, I don't know. It could Mm -hmm. be that there's a whole load of stuff bubbling in there that, you know, I'll find in three years time and it will all have changed again. Yeah. And as I was asking the question, I was trying really hard not not to say, do you think you've got there? Because like that's that that doesn't exist. (laughs) That there's just this magical point at which like oh, I've expressed all my values perfectly in my work. Like, well, this is not going to happen. And so I think the open-endedness is nice and true. Yeah, yeah. I think that what's, what's interesting at the moment is that everything feels like it's a part of something. So in the community garden, we have a like a 20% goes to social project thing. And we're currently, my husband and I are setting up like an Airbnb Airstream caravan. And right from the beginning of that, there was the the pledge that 20% of the booking times will go to people who are maybe artists or could do with a holiday or wh- whatever. Yeah, yeah. There is that that kind of feeling where, and I'm, that's just the assumption. And that's a big shift from certainly where I was five years ago, seven years ago, where it was all about making the business kind of profitable rather than integrating anything that we do into a wider kind of mm. thing from the start. So I think it's the baked inness yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. That and and that's really nice that it can as you say, it gets to that point where it's automatic rather than you get a certain way down the way and you're like, oh God, I forgot to make this pay what you want, you know? <laughs> but but I think it's also that there are so many businesses now are great role models. Mm. for this you know there are so many businesses have worked out ways to incorporate what they're wanting to do without just being that sort of capitalist machine Mm. yeah so looking forward then given that it's been in the last three years everything's completely changed (laughs) and so I guess a lot of the 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 challenges we discussed around the team and all that sort of thing like that's all gone what has anything come up in their stead what what kind of challenges or struggles are are now coming up for you I think that my main struggle is going to be physically getting back outside I mean Mm. like out to mixing with people because I was shielding I was basically like this ridiculous queen bee where everybody brought me everything (laughs) I needed and I didn't go outside now to start with, I thought that was fine because I'm really introverted and I, you know, left to myself, I do tend to become a bit of a hermit. But as it went on, I realized that that was just awful and that I was missing out on so much and that I have missed out on so much probably for a decade by allowing my work to just keep me away from people. It's a great excuse if, mm. 
you're an introvert, being an artist and gardener is a really good way of not having to see anybody. So now my commitment is to go into like out and meet people a lot more. And I think that, again, it's not really a business thing, but in some ways it is. Mm-hmm. And to get over myself, really. Yeah. And actually go and see people and communicate a lot more and put myself out there as an artist rather than hiding behind the business. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that really resonates with me as well, because although I wasn't shielding for uh, the beginning lockdown of this year, I was completely on my own, living on my own. And the five mile rule we had in Wales, like everybody only lived more than five miles away. So I was and I, I remember going on a walk and like hugging a tree <laughs> and just being like, this isn't the same. <laughs> but and and I like you always thought like I, I don't need other people but that really showed me that I, I do need other people and subsequently I, like putting myself out there more and, and speaking to more people what I found is that it's definitely opened up my possibilities of things like you like you meet somebody who climbs a lot of mountains and you think well that's just a normal human I've met like if they can do it there's no reason why I can't and it just kind of really expands things in a way that you wouldn't expect and so I think that yes it's a it's a work and a life thing because it you just the more that you put yourself out there and and speak to people and meet people the more you start to see what might be possible for you in all aspects and people are so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny that. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> so, but, but I, I do know that I will find it a struggle because my my default is just stay, stay in the garden. Home. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you've got your, your Airstream, then people will be landing on your doorstep. So. <laughs> they will. They will. I know. Well, this is the thing I'm hopefully it'll be finished sort of like end of july-ish but this year we're just going to have friends <laughs> coming and staying <laughs> so i can get used to the idea of there being people in the garden <laughs> it is separate it is separate from yeah. the garden. it's got its own <laughs> after the back of this conversation it feels silly to ask you what you think is next because it sounds like you've not really got any plans <laughs> um Next, I think I think I'm just going to go with this. I recently changed my Instagram bio, which I always think is such a funny way of um, <laughs> measuring official. things. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I artists there for the first time, which you know, given that I have been earning a living by designing things and largely by designing pictorial things, um, I haven't had artists there at all. It felt really, mm. really weird. But now, with all of this, and the fact that I don't, I don't have a team now, so it's no longer that kind of business, that's what I feel like. And I think that that's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of breathes out and kind of expands over the next wee while. Mm. Kind of owning that job title. That I think has more power than we really give it credit for. I think we hold, we'd say, "Oh, I can't call myself an artist for for reasons," but actually, that to ha- boil it all down to a word, and then going, "Okay, so what? How does an artist spend their day? What doesn't yeah. like it, it can be a really powerful sort of mindset shift and really open up new doors." And I think it is a mindset shift because I think that it is a way of thinking rather mm. than a an activity yes yeah so that i think that will be really interesting to play mm. with for a yeah, while definitely so let me get up what you said last time for your answer and it's quite a short and sweet one so last time i asked you how do you grow a soul in your work and life you said <laughs> i'm laughing i think it's becoming less busy <laughs> <laughs> And you said at the beginning of that year, when you cho- chose your word of the year, it was ease. And so, I mean, yeah, how do you think that's gone? <laughs> well, I think that, that I think that's really interesting. I mean, that was what that was before all of these books about 
how to be less busy. I yeah. should have written a book about being less busy. Um, <laughs> that would have made me really busy. Um, <laughs> now I would say that I would add on to do something which is different from to get to the point where you are so unbusy that you have a gap from your actual business mm-hmm. and that that will allow more space in your head. Change is as good as a rest. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Kind of I... Freeing up space, time, whatever, for something else that's different. Mm. Yeah. And for me, that's the community food project, but it could be anything. Mm. And I think that's, um, I think that can be quite, that that's a whole other step to get to because just listening to you say that I have spent probably the last year and a half getting getting to the unbusy point and I'm still at a point where I'm like I like I've worked hard to have this time I'm not ready for this time to to go somewhere else um and so yeah I feel like that's a yeah the next kind of leveling up for want of a better phrase of I'm so confident enough in my ability to not make myself busy that I'm willing to go and do something else that is that is completely different um yeah that's definitely something for me to to think about thanks (laughs) so you don't just fill up your life with lots and lots of different busy (laughs) (laughs) so jane where can people come where's the best place to come and find you and talk to you and and see all the things the website is called snapdragon life and that's dot com or dot co dot uk and instagram i am snapdragon dot life thank you so much it was lovely to speak to you kate thanks Any links that we mentioned will be on my website at simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast and you can find me and Jane on Instagram. I am at simpleandseason and she is at snapdragon.life. If you have a friend who you think would really enjoy listening to this conversation, please do send them a link to the episode and share where you're listening online too. And until next time, I hope you grow with soul.